welcome to Navigating Betrayal Live webinar, podcast, and YouTube channel. Uh, coming live from, of course, our Facebook group, Humans Navigating Betrayal. I'm your host, Kaylee Dunn, uh, Betrayal Navigation Coach. I've also been a betrayal trauma therapist for over a decade. <laughs> Stick around for a short Q&A at the end. Today's discussion is called, Two Things Can Be True, Empathy and Boundaries. So this is a big question that we all get stuck in on our journey navigating betrayal. I love them and I hate them. I care about them. I can see who they are on a deep level and I want nothing to do with this person. Um, I'm told that I should have boundaries, but those boundaries might hurt their feelings or they might get upset. So what am I supposed to do? So today we're going to talk about what is empathy? What are boundaries? Can they coexist? And what situations complicate this question? So empathy is the ability to step into another person's shoes and feel what they feel. It's not sympathy. Sympathy is when we are kind of like, man, that sucks for you, right? Empathy is when um, I can look at that other person and go, whoa, this must be really hard. I can put myself and kind of pretend or imagine in my own mind what it's like to be that other person. And when I step into their shoes, I realize, man, this is a hard place to be. Especially when you've been in a relationship with someone for a long time, you also know their history, you know their past, you know what they've been through, you know what abuses they've experienced. And so it's very common that we can have empathy for a partner that we've been with for a very long time, even if they've hurt us over and over again. Something that's not empathy is a trauma response that we often have after a betrayal called the fawn response or the friend response. I call this the water response because when we have been betrayed, we can often go into this state of mind that is a part of our inner survivor where we try to please and pacify. We're trying to make life easier for the other person with hopes that will then feel safe. This is something that you can have, may have learned um, as a young person in your family of origin, like if I make mom or dad or caregiver happy and I just please them or I get quiet and small, then no one notices me. I don't get hurt. I don't get in trouble. Um, and I can kind of grease the wheels. Another way that the water response can look is, is the helper, kind of like the pseudo therapist. If I give you all the books and all the education and I help you in all of these different ways, um, then you're happy and then I'm not going to get hurt and, and everything is going to go well. This fawn response or the survivor response, as you know, I've talked to many times, the survivor response is a beautiful thing. It's really set up to protect us and to keep us safe. Unfortunately, um, it can also get us stuck. And it's not the same thing as empathy. Although we may use our empathy or our ability to step into someone else's shoes, we might use that in order to please or perfect or fawn or friend or partner to stay survive, to stay in survival. And this is where we get stuck. 
So we often see the survival response getting pathologized by other groups, calling it a codependency or a trauma bond. Not to say that those things don't exist, but we're just like kind of putting a big broad brush over these really nuanced experiences. Um, and we're kind of labeling it as like you're broken or there's something wrong with you. Um, others may see a friend or a fond response and call it manipulation or um, uh, toxic, that you, the betrayed partner, are toxic. Um, and so what I want to say is that absolutely not. The fawn or friend response is a survival response. And that's right here. And then there's also, it's also this ability to experience the emotion of empathy over here. And sometimes we borrow our ability to have empathy in fawn or friend response, okay? So when we see those as separate, we can recognize that being an empathetic person, having an empathetic heart, being able to step into someone else's shoes and understand what they're going through isn't inherently something that's troublesome. And in fact, having a fawn or a friend response isn't bad either. It might get us stuck. It might get us stuck. It might keep us in cycles we don't want to be stuck in, but it's not inherently bad or pathological. And empathy certainly isn't. In fact, empathy is a quality that I imagine is within your value set. Um, for most of us, at some point, empathy is we want to be an empathetic person. And so when we're invited to set boundaries, it feels like, wait a second, these are on top of each other. What do you mean I have to set boundaries? I have a big heart. I care about people. I care about my partner. I want my partner to succeed and I want my relationship to succeed. So what do you mean set boundaries? And it feels like they go against each other, but they don't. And I'm going to explain why they don't go against each other. So bear with me. Boundaries are simply what's okay and what's not okay in relation to me. If I don't know myself well enough, I'm going to have a really hard time setting boundaries. In fact, in my coaching courses, I work, we, we actually front load boundaries with a lot of stuff before we even get to starting to write down what those boundaries are. Because if I don't know who I am or what I want or what's okay, I'm not going to be able to set those limits as clearly at the beginning. But practice makes perfect, right? So we're still going to practice our boundary setting, even if we're not exactly sure what to do. But Boundaries aren't just saying what's not okay. Boundaries are also saying what is okay. And that can include empathy. You can set limits with yourself and say, I'm going to maintain an empathetic heart and I will not be treated with disrespect. I will not be spoken to in a way. I will not spend time in spaces where I'm being spoken to in a certain way. I will not spend time or give energy or access to my body with someone who is betraying my trust, right? We can set boundaries and have empathy and have a big caring heart and care about that other person. If you're someone who's maybe more in a collapse or what I say, a stone response to your betrayal where you're like, yeah, I don't give two craps about my partner. <laughs> I don't want to have empathy for them. That's okay. That's okay. Um, no, no judgment from me. That's another survival response. It's an insulating response that helps you protect your hurt when you're stuck in a place 
that feels impossible. So if you are in a place where you feel completely collapsed and like, I don't give a crap, um, maybe you feel guilty about that because it doesn't align with your values. That's something to notice. It's not something to judge, but just something to notice. You might be someone who's like, I don't care about empathy. Don't care about it then. That's okay. If that's not in your value set, if that's not something that um, you want to align your life with, that's okay too. That's your choice. Um, but what I'm here to say is we can be empathetic, loving, caring people and boundary people. In fact, setting boundaries, being clear in our communication and clear in our action with what we're okay with and what we're not okay with is extremely loving. It's extremely loving because it often opens opportunities for other people in our life to be able to make those choices to come closer to us and to get to know us closer or to realign themselves and recognize, you know what, we're just not in alignment. We're not we both don't have the same value sets. We don't have the same integrity or willingness to fix places where they're, you know, if they have integrity for transparency, for example, like maybe in their own values, they're like, no, I do value, um, I do value transparency. I do value accountability, but they're not doing the work needed to align their behavior with that, right? That gives them that opportunity to, to do that work if they want to maintain connection and access to you. We can talk way more about boundaries later because you know I could talk for hours on end about boundaries. Um, but what I just want to bring home today is that two things can be true. And that in fact, you can be quite empathetic and that maybe even empathy is required for healthy living. I might, I might throw that out there. In a, in a community in a, as a social species but you can be empathetic with the person who's betrayed you when you when you want to and boundaries are necessary for healthy living and for healing and for recovery um and so that those things are not mutually exclusive but may even work together because when we can step into the shoes of another person not with our own lenses on but with what they're showing us, what we're seeing, what we're sensing, we genuinely have empathy for that other person. Um, it may actually tune in our boundaries a little bit. That said, if you tend to go into a fawn or a friend response, which was mine, friend is mine all the way. I become the pseudotherapist. I become the parent. That's what I try to do to protect myself. That's one of the ways. Um, if that's your go-to, you know that's a slippery slope for you. That's okay. You can say, well, I've got to set some self-boundaries. And um, if I try to step into their shoes, I'm going to start questioning myself. I'm going to start saying, no, 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 I'm being the jerk. I'm being the one that's, you know, start blaming yourself. Okay, you know those self-limits to say, right now, I need to focus on my boundaries and not on empathy. That's a good awareness to have. But this is really a nuanced discussion here. Um, when we're in our trauma brain, we want a cut and dry answer, right? Is it their fault or is it my fault? Is it, do I, do I have to hate them or do I have to love them, right? Do I have to set boundaries or do I have to let them, you know, walk all over me? But we can be loving and have boundaries. I will say it's, it's, it's more difficult. So know yourself, be aware of your response. And if that's going to be a slippery slope for you, like if I open my heart to where they're coming from, 
then I'm going to start projecting my values onto them. I'm going to start saying, well, if I was in their shoes, I would do this. That's not empathy. It's projecting your values onto them. So step into their shoes. And um, what do you find? Right? You might say, I, it's impossible. They're so closed off. I can't even have empathy with them. That's information. See how it's hand in hand. That's really good information for your boundary setting. But that doesn't work for you to be in a relationship with someone so shut off that you can't empathize with them. So just know that two things absolutely can be true. It's probably my favorite phrase. Two things can be true. And in this case, the two things that can be true is that empathy, we can have empathy for a, betray, a betraying partner. And we can have very um, integrity-based, value-based boundaries as well. And that those two can actually work together. I'm going to stick around for a minute um, to see if anyone hops on. If you have any questions around these topics, please let me know. Comment in the in the comments. Let's see. My go-to is also managing or parenting. I struggle not to, but I'm at least aware now. How can I hold my spouse accountable for something but not parent? Hope that makes sense. 100% makes sense. Amazing question. I was you <laughs> exactly in this place. So what we do is we um, communicate clearly and we take action for self-care. And that is what boundaries is. Parenting is when we're kind of like scaffolding, nudging, guiding, trying to get them to do what we want them to do. Um, but you're going to take a step back from that by, by telling yourself, okay, I'm, you know, when you feel that urge coming on, you're like, oh, okay, I have all the answers and I just want to like teach them, lecture them, parent them, shove it down their throat, manage them, and I'm going to control and navigate it. You're going to say, no, that's me trying to survive, but I'm I want to, I want to thrive. So I say, thank you. I, this is what I do. I say, hey, thank you, inner, inner survivor for trying to keep me safe, but this path doesn't work for me. It's going to you know, drain my battery and all these other things. So instead I'm going to speak, I'm going to communicate clearly with my partner. And so I say, Hey, this is what I would like to see this thing, right? Whether that's, um, I think that you need to go to therapy for that, or I think that you need a support person for that, or I think it would be good for you to do this. And you make a request, will you do that thing? And then you step away and you let them do it or not. And while you hold, while you step away, you're, you're not just like, uh, do that thing and I'm going to go over here and, and live my life. You're going over here and you're taking care of yourself, taking care of your nervous system, um, working on your intuition, connecting with that inner wisdom. And you're also observing. So it's not just like, will you please go to therapy and I'm going to stand here and like, hope you do it. I'm consciously observing. Wait a second. They're not doing it. I've asked them. I've been clear. I know that I have not been like mincing words and they're not doing it on their own. And that's information. And you may even choose, so to stave off betrayal blindness, you may even write it down, keep a log, keep a journal of the actions that you're taking, the um, choices that you're making not to control or fix it, but you're writing down, um, asked Bob to go to therapy within the next three weeks period on this date and three weeks you're coming back. Like he didn't do it. Bob did not join in therapy. He's continuing to X, Y, and Z behavior. That's not working for me. And you're right. And you're, you're observing and you're coming back like a scientist of your own life going, okay, so what do I know now? And what do I need now? Cause it's not working for 
me to have my husband or my partner, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, X, Y, Z, my wife, whoever it is. But, um, so they're, they're doing that, but, um, I can't control that. So what can I control? And that might mean less space. It might be a different request. It might be, um, how much access they have, um, all the way to right full separation, but it doesn't have to be that right out of the gate. That none of that, what I described is you controlling. That's you taking action for your own self care. On the flip side, you have to remember, and this is why, again, before I teach boundaries in my courses, we do a ton of prep work because in that moment, they're going to say, oh, you're withholding sex from me. You're trying to control me. Or, oh, you're um, sleeping in the other room. You're trying to manipulate me and make me do what you want me to do. That is never the, like, that may look that way from an outside perspective, but if you are grounded in your intention around self-protection and potential for connection in that relationship, because you know that you parenting them is not improving the relationship, right? So you making a request and then surrendering, letting them make their choices, that is going to give a huge potential for healthy relationships because if they take that opportunity, you can have a really healthy relationship. So you have to know your intentions deeply before you start setting boundaries. Well, not before, but when you start setting boundaries in a way that's working because you could be told every day you're doing ultimatums when, when you're not. Um, okay. My boyfriend says he's struggling because I don't tell him I love him as much anymore. Yeah. I know I still love him, but I think it's just hard for me to say it to him first. I always say it back when he says it. Do you have any tips to get over this mental block? Okay. First thing in this case, you can have empathy for your boyfriend um, and still maintain your boundary if you need to. So let's talk, I will talk about the mental block in a minute, minute because you may be in a place where you're like, you know what? I do want to tell him I love him first. I do love him. I do want him to feel loved in this relationship does matter to me. And I want to do that. And that's one scenario and one option that for sure we can talk about getting over that mental block. But on the flip side, you might go someone else, maybe you, but someone else may go, I actually don't want to tell him I love him first because I feel unsafe. I'm not, sh I, I love him, but that's very vulnerable. I'm putting my heart out on the line. If I keep saying I love you and then he's like, thanks, and takes my heart, puts it on the floor and stomps on it when he acts out again, that might be your mental block. I don't know. There might, there's a lot of different things that could be mental blocks. Sometimes it's just full on resentment. It's like, well, no, actually they're really safe and they're doing all the things they need to do to show me trust. They're trustworthy. They're empathetic. And I am so angry and resentful that I don't want to be that one. Okay. We can work with resentment. We can work with anger and you can work through that, right? You can experience that. It's a part of grief. You can experience that and work through that. Um, but if they're continually acting out and continually hurting you, that mental block might actually just be your in, inner self being like, whoa, 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 whoa. Saying I love you first is vulnerable. That, I don't know if we want to do that. So what you can do is, um, if your mental block is something that might not go away right away, you can tell him. You can just be communicative with him. You can communicate, look, I love you, and I understand why this is so hard for you. And, um, uh, and right, and I'm, and I'm sorry that it comes off this way to you. And I could see why it would come off this way to you. You're not crazy, right? It makes sense why it seems like I don't love you. And, right, not but, and right now I don't feel safe to be the initiator of the I love you. 
And so I probably won't for a while. When I start feeling safe, you'll notice, you'll notice me doing that more. So you can have that kind of a conversation. You could also have a, I see, I see you, I want to do it and I'm going to work on it because I'm feeling a lot of resentment still. And um, that resentment is also natural and normal uh, considering what we've been through. Uh, and I'd like to work, continue to work through it. So certainly we can have empathy, you know, yeah, that makes sense why it's hurting you. And I get that. And I do love you. So I do want you to feel loved. And um, I've been really hurt and traumatized or really hurt and, um, uh, my feelings have been really hurt by what you've done. And because of that, it's going to take time for me to heal in a way that I want to be initiating a uh, connection, even in these tiny ways. So you can do that. Um, okay. One more question. Okay, I struggle not. Uh, okay, so this person is saying they they don't struggle with flashbacks, but they're having nightmares and night terrors. Literally wake up fighting in my sleep. Everything else has been good, but the night terrors. So, same. I went through that as well. Um, in fact, little side story about me. Sorry, <laughs> like that's okay. But I'll but I'll give you your some answers to some tips on night terrors. Um, but my husband works in medicine and they've been trained in PTSD and um, especially when people are sleeping who have PTSD and how they respond when they're being woken up or how they respond when waking up or having night tears and nightmares with um, vet with veterans. And it was actually a big moment when um, he came to wake me up and I woke up literally swinging um, and pretty, pretty intensely <laughs> where it really finally opened his eyes. Oh my gosh, like you have PTSD from what I've done to you. Like he didn't quite get it until that moment. So night terrors, um, I'm not trying to die. I'm not saying you have post the disorder. I'm not here to diagnose. This is just educational. So I'm not saying you have the full on diagnosis, but, um, these are common um, experiences for people who have relational betrayals, um, and who experience, um, trauma, whether that's again, the full diagnosis criteria or just the symptoms of trauma. So, um, ultimately you're not alone, uh, in this experience, some things that can help, uh, similar for flashbacks because it's the same part of the brain. And in fact, when you do trauma therapy, like EMDR or ART, uh, there are links in the pin section for how to find a therapist who specializes in these types of therapies. They actually activate, when, when you do these types of therapies, we as the clinicians activate the part of the brain that functions during sleep to process memory. Um, and so at least theoretically, <laughs> we're pretty sure that's what's happening anyway, but but ultimately the, um, the flashbacks and the nightmares are your nightmares are flashbacks while you're asleep. That's what night terrors and nightmares are, uh, often. So there's still a lot of mystery around sleep, but there's also a lot of studies that have been done. Just a few things to recommend just off the bat that you can do in, by way of education and coaching, um, keep a journal by the side of your bed. As soon as you wake up, even if you're still trembling, write down everything you can remember from your dream. Um, every single morning, if you have repeat themes or repeat, which probably are, um, repeat concepts, take those to a trauma therapist would be my number one recommendation. But even if you are not able to afford that right now, or you're working on saving up to be able to meet with someone, 
do this where you write it down every single night uh, or sorry, every single morning, as soon as you wake up, just the action of writing it down left to right is therapeutic. And for many people, I've seen night terrors decrease just by adding that in. Um, another thing you can do is uh, just improving general sleep hygiene, what can help decrease nightmares and night terrors. Um, I've got some TikToks on that, and I'm going to be doing more on sleep hygiene on TikTok as well. I'll try to get them posted in Instagram too, and on Facebook. I'm not as good at cross-posting. I'm getting a VA soon, so hopefully they'll get cross-posted everywhere, but um, because that can be really helpful as well. But that will be like law, like big picture. You know, you'll see big picture effects for better sleep hygiene. Um, but right now I would definitely write down your night terrors every single morning, even if you're still trembling and, and just trying to get a deep breath, um, write down everything that happened, everything you can remember, even if it's just pictures and just describing it, um, can help because what's happening during a nightmare or a night terror is your brain trying to put, I think if you were here earlier, we were talking about how the memory is not housed where it's supposed to go. It gets housed kind of like an urgent sticker on your front. Um, on the desk, like in your inbox, being like, you have to deal with this, you have to look at this right now. And if you do that, and, and and so when you're sleeping, even flashbacks are your brain being like, don't forget, don't forget you have this item, don't forget. And when you're sleeping, it's the same thing, except it's your brain trying to put it in the file and it won't go. It's like, nope, nope, it won't go. Um, because it's complex. Um, your nervous system wasn't able to integrate it the way it needed to. So these type of trauma therapies, as well as nervous system healing skills and tools you can get in coaching and in education will help. So start with a night daily meditation or right before you go to bed meditation. You can journal right before bed too, to see if you can kind of get out some of that. But also if you start triggering yourself before bed, don't journal right before bed. So you have to know yourself and kind of, it's going to be unique to you, but um, those, those are some options. All right. I have got to go, but I will, um, check back in here for anyone who asks questions later and I will answer them, um, in the group. Thank you so much for following us, um, here today live in the humans navigating betrayal Facebook group, uh, webinar. If you are tuning in later on YouTube or on, um, on the podcast and you have been betrayed in an intimate relationship, Join us in the Facebook group, an amazing group of people to connect with and pump each other up and share stories. Thank you so much. I'll see you guys later.